Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 13 for our text? We're entering into a new section here of Matthew. We, uh, we've been sort of camping out on the, the, um, you know, the, the beautiful miracles of Jesus, uh, cleansing the leper, uh, healing the centurion's servant who was sick of the palsy, and uh, just, you know, Jesus just healing uh, so many people. And, and, it's, and it was so good to look at those and how Jesus was operating and moving, and we learned so much. But now Jesus is gonna shift gears and he's moving into a section uh, that some scholars would call the kingdom parables, the parables of Jesus. And a parable is just a illustration or story that uh, teaches something that's true. And, uh, and, and now by this time, we've already seen Jesus fulfilling prophecy. Speaking of Bible prophecy, Jesus has, has fulfilled Bible prophecy about who the Messiah would be. Uh, just by the things like being born in Bethlehem. That was a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He would be uh, raised in the city of Nazareth or the little town of Nazareth. Um, uh, there would be a star uh, that would be seen. Like there was all these prophecies that Jesus would fulfill. But one of those fulfilling prophecies was that he would speak in parables. It's Psalm 78, uh, verse two. This Psalm, by the way, Psalm 78 is a messianic Psalm. It's a prophetic Psalm about the coming Messiah. And it says, they're of the Messiah. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Um, dark sayings doesn't mean evil. It means more like um, something that's veiled or covered as a mystery that's about to be unveiled. That's the word there when it says dark sayings. So the Messiah would come and speak and sort of unveil uh, truths from the Old Testament. And that's exactly what Jesus will do. And he'll use the tool of the parable to kind of uh, reveal more of himself and more of what the Lord was wanting for, for us, for his people. So parables are kind of fun. I, I'm, we're gonna enjoy these parables. And, and we have a parable uh, that we're gonna look at as we continue verse by verse right through the Bible. Um, we're gonna start out with the very first one. And, and some of you might be tempted to say, oh, I know that parable. I've heard it a thousand times, I, yeah, whatever. Now, the, the problem with that is this parable is about listening to the word and tuning in. So you're, you're gonna get nailed. Just kidding. If you've got that attitude about, oh, I already, yeah, 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 I already know this. This, this will correct that, um, uh, this parable of itself. It's the parable of the sower of the seed. And uh, let's take a look. It's Matthew chapter 13, verses three. Uh, through nine. It says in verse three, and he, Jesus, spake many things unto them in parables, saying, behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Interesting, whenever Jesus says, if you got ears to hear, which we do, uh, then we're supposed to listen up. In fact, in, in the gospel of Mark, he starts out this same parable in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter four, where he says, hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And then at the end of the parable, he says the same, same thing, hearken, behold. Here, we're just told in verse three, the first red letter there is behold. 
But Mark says, no, Jesus said, hearken, behold. You say, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, it, the word hearken, we don't really use. At least I haven't used that lately of you. I mean, you walk into a committee meeting at work, hearken. Uh, might be a little overly dramatic for, uh, for today. But the word heart, we, we would say, hey, everybody, listen up. Like, that's what we would say today. It's, it's time to tune in, listen up. And, and the word behold, you, you wouldn't say behold either probably in your, your team meeting at work. Uh, hearken, behold, uh, um, I bring you tidings of great joy. Uh, no, you, you won't talk like that. You might say, hey, everybody, listen up and check this out. That's, that's the behold, uh, to look into something and really uh, dig in and, and sort of uh, figure it out. Is, is what Jesus is imploring us to do. Uh, he's saying, uh, hearken, behold. And then he tells this great little uh, story of the sower of the seeds. Um, so that's kind of a key thing. Now, now, as we break this down, the main components of this parable are um, three things that we should know. And if you're sort of new to the Bible, this might be uh, new to you. But uh, for many of us, we've heard this before, and you know these things. The parable of the sower, the main points is that we have the sower himself, the one who's planting the seed, or in farmer terms, maybe scattering the seed and getting it to fall onto the earth. Hopefully the earth will receive the seed and the sower is wanting to uh, see growth that comes from his sowing. Now the sower is the Lord, but also the sower might include you because the the great sower, uh, the Lord himself, will use us as undersowers. you might say, well, Brett, that's your job. You're the, you're the pastor. You're supposed to be preaching the word. So you're the undersower. I'm, I have nothing to do with that. Well, that's one of the big misnomers of the church today, in my opinion. I think you're all called to the ministry. If you're a Christian here today, you've been called to sow seed. Um, the, the great commission isn't just for pastors to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptizing. I love, by the way, how many Athey Creekers are out doing that. There's so many cool stories of, of you know, people ministering, sharing the Lord. Um, I, I hear of Bible studies at work, uh, you know, in places where it's kind of hostile toward Christians. Some of you guys are doing Bible studies and stuff like that. I love, you know, some of you are coaching, you know, teams and doing uh, Young Life and FCA and reaching into areas where you can just sow the seed out to places where people may not ever go to church. And uh, I love that, but I think we're all called to that to some degree. And if you think it's just my job, you've missed what Jesus said in John 15, 16. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and have ordained you. You're all ordained ministers, congratulations. Uh, Welcome to the ministry. Um, You're like, Brett, you're the ordained minister. You're there, you're supposed to marry and bury and do all that stuff that ministers do, right? Well, yes, uh, we have a team of, of, of you know, men that are here at Athey Creek that are uh, you know, ordained ministers, and there is a role there. But in the greater sense, I believe this was spoken to all the believers. Um, I have chosen you and have ordained you, what, what for? That you should go and bring forth fruit. How do you bring forth fruit? You gotta sow seed, plant seed, and see the fruit that grows. That's the whole point of the sower parable, is to see fruit, good fruit by the end of the, uh, the deal. So the first component is we see the sower, that's the Lord, but also coupled with his undersowers, you and me. The second component is the seed, which is the word of God. Um, and then that, that some Bible scholars might try to zero in a little more specifically and say the, the seed is actually the gospel message. Uh, well, which one is it, Brett? The word or the gospel? And my answer is always yes. 
Because lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, that's Jesus. Uh, the whole Bible is really about Jesus, which is all about the gospel. But I do believe that the sowing of the seed largely is speaking of the, 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 the preaching, the teaching, the, the sharing of the gospel message. Um, we'll, we'll nail that down a little further later on in our deal. So you got the sower, the seed, and the, the final component here is the soil itself, which is the heart of man, or the, you might say the soul of man, where the seed is sown and it's planted in a person's heart. And the question is, what is the condition or the soil? Uh, what is the condition of your heart? And that's what Jesus is talking about. So he gives us four conditions of the heart. Uh, three are bad, uh, one is good. And before we get into those conditions, can I just point out a little bit uh, percentages here? Um, the seed that is sown, only 25% of the seed actually brings forth good fruit. Um, the reason I share that with you is because you might be discouraged. You might have share, you've been sharing the gospel with people and, and people will reject what you're sharing. Have you ever been rejected in sharing the gospel with someone you care about? And they're like, yeah, whatever. Um, but don't be shocked when that happens because even Jesus kind of says some seed will not bring forth fruit. It'll be planted or sown, but it won't really take root. And that's what Jesus tells us. And, and you know, after years and years of ministry, I've noticed the 25% mark is pretty accurate. Uh, sad to say, I wish it was 100%. That's what the Lord says when he said, oh, I would that none should perish, the Lord says, that all would come to repentance. But that's not what happens because humanity has free will and they can do whatever they want. But in this case, um, that's the, the percentage. 75% of the seed doesn't really bring forth fruit, but 25% of the seed will. And we'll talk about that condition uh, as we go into it. So what are these four conditions Jesus nails down? Well, I'm gonna give them names. The first one I'm gonna call um, the condition, the fouled up heart. You say fouled up, Brett, you spelled it wrong. No, the birds of the air, uh, fowl. Uh, that's what it says. The fowls of the air came and devoured the seed. Um, and what is the fouled up heart? Well, good news, by the way, uh, I don't have to try to you know, discern what all this is about because Jesus tells us very clearly, Jesus gives a commentary on this particular parable. Not all of the parables, Jesus does that. Some of the parables, he literally leads us to figure it out. But this one, it's almost like he says, I'm gonna give you this first parable and I'm gonna show you how to interpret it and then I'll give you other parables and let's see you guys interpret it. That's sort of what Jesus is doing, it seems like here. So this parable's easy because Jesus gives us the answers. Um, I remember in math, remember in math class where they had the answers in the back of the book? Remember when that started happening? I was like, this is awesome. Like, it's the best thing. And then teachers would always say, okay, every other problem is the one I want you to do. And they're like, oh, those are the ones without the answers. But... Um, <laughs> But this is Jesus giving us the answers. Um, in fact, uh, let's, let's look at this. So the fouled up heart we see in verse four, you know, the seed that fell by the wayside where the fowls came and devoured the seed up. Jesus explains that in verses 18 and 19. Let's take a look, verse 18. He says, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one, that's uh, Satan, so this is the fowls of the air, the wicked one, and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. So this is, a, uh, this is the, sort of the key to the whole thing. The, foul, the fowls of the air in this case is a representation of the evil one, Satan himself. 
In the Bible, for you Bible students, uh, sometimes birds are good. Like the dove is often uh, depicted as something good. The dove is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Um, I like the dove as the Holy Spirit, by the way. Um, sometimes I like to tell my charismaniac friends, the Christians are a little bit hyper-Pentecostal, like swinging from the chandeliers and stuff and you know, doing all. I like to say, hey, remember the Holy Spirit is a dove, not a, not a shrieking eagle, uh, not a or, or like not a chicken with his head cut off. Some churches you go to, you think the, the Holy Spirit is a chicken with the head cut off. Um, no, it's a dove. That's pretty calming, if you ask me. When I hear a dove, I'm like, yeah, that's calming. That's not you know, running around flipping out and doing weird stuff. So interesting, just a freebie for you, the dove. But in the Bible, uh, the, uh, a lot of the other birds are considered unclean and even depicted as evil. In this case, uh, Jesus spells it out, says the bird that comes and plucks out the seed is the wicked one himself, Satan. Um, and that's what the way he rolls, that's what he wants to do. Um, so before uh, the, the seed can even have a chance to take root in the soil of a person's heart, the devil comes and snatches away the seed. Second uh, Corinthians reminds us that we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, uh, Paul tells the Corinthian church. And the last thing Satan wants is for the seed of the word of God, whether it's the gospel message or just the greater message of the whole Bible, the last thing Satan wants is it to penetrate your heart and to take root in your heart and bring forth good fruit in your life. That's the last thing the enemy, Satan, wants for you. Um, he wants you to forget quickly what you've learned. You know, I talk about the grand erasers that are sometimes in, in the church when, you, when people are, you know, oh, that was a good sermon, Pastor Brett, and then they walk through those double doors and it's like, ding, what do you want to do after church? Let's go to Oswego Grill. Yay, okay. And you forget. If you ask somebody what the sermon was, I'm like, man, I don't really remember. Um, that's the, that's, that's the, the seed being plucked out. When I was growing up as a kid, my dad would do battle against that uh, tendency by, uh, you know, all of us kids would get in the Volkswagen as we're heading home from church. And my dad would, one by one, Brett, what did you learn in church the sermon today? And, you know, if I didn't listen and if I was goofing around in church, I'd say, um, it was about God. I knew that was a good bet. It was about the Bible. But my dad could see through that. He wanted a little more content. He wanted to see if I was listening and letting the seed get in. And so we, we learned very early as kids, you better kind of tune in and listen so you have an answer in the Volkswagen on the way home. But as it turned out, that served us really well because uh, we would internalize. And, and just that exercise alone was sort of a way to battle against the, uh, the grand erasers uh, that Satan would love to have the seed of the word. And, and you know, the problem with, with um, you know, th this device, not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, I think there's so many devices he has that makes the word not really penetrate your heart. Um, you know, here in the sanctuary, you know, whether it's here or at home, you're doing your own personal devotion time in the word. Um, there, there's so many distractions. And I think Satan will use those things. Just when the Lord is trying to speak into your heart, somebody's cell phone goes off. Stay alive, stay alive. <laughs> You're like, come on, are you kidding me? And, and I feel bad because I know some of you forget to turn off your cell phone and uh, there's only, you know, uh, 1,500 people in here. So uh, the odds are somebody's gonna forget. 
But it's, it's uncanny if you're, if you're part of the staff and stuff. We always marvel at how the cell phone always goes off right when I'm inviting people to accept Jesus or like things that are important. Like the, when we're talking about important stuff, um, they're not going off when I'm doing announcements and stuff that doesn't really matter. Uh, but as soon as we get into like the key parts, it's like the, the, the phones go off. I think cell phones are, are demonic. Be, be not ignorant of his devices. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but all that to say, um, you know, there's all kinds of things. By the way, there's also a thing that we need to start observing when Jesus talks about the seed. It was, it was thrown, but it, was, it fell by the wayside. That's part of this equation. What's the difference between the wayside and the actual field that's supposed to be planted? Well, the wayside is usually not tilled and ready soil. It's, it's trampled down soil that's hard. And when you throw seed on it, the seed just sort of bounces off. And then the birds come and go, free seed. And they come and eat up the seed. And so the, the, when Jesus talks about that, he says, um, this is he which received seed by the wayside um, because the seed never really sunk in. And, and that starts to touch the issue of the soil of your heart is not tilled, but it's just hardened. And so the seed sort of bounces off and it never really takes root. Thereby Satan comes and gobbles it up and it never really affects you and your life. Um, and 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 uh, I think that's a real problem today. We're, we're a very distracted people. In, in our world, we have so many things that uh, quickly rob us, I think, of what the Lord wants. And that's the fouled up heart where Satan is the bird of the air wanting to pluck away the seed. Uh, and that's the heart that's, that's hardened, it's not tilled soil. So then that brings us to the second kind of soil. And we're gonna, we're gonna call this one the shallow heart. Um, and that's seen there in verse five and six, where it says, um, some fell on stony places, where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. I like the newer translations in the NIV, for example, says um, that the soil was shallow. That's, that's, that's the idea, just shallow soil. Um, so when the seed falls on the soil that's all rocky, there's enough soil for it starts to take root. But, but what's, what's the deal? Well, Jesus again gives us commentary on this, uh, the, the second one here. Um, and we see that uh, in verse 20. It says in verse 20, let's look ahead. It says, but he that received the seed in stony places, the same as he that hears the word and anon with joy receives it. So that's interesting. He's like, yeah, that was great. Good word, man. Wonderful sermon. Nice devotional time reading the word. Yay, it's awesome. Joy. But it goes on, verse 21. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. Jesus tells us something, and this is such a key, especially for our culture, for our day. I think Jesus is nailing down this the shallow heart situation. Um, and what's that? Where a person takes only a little bit of scripture and lets it sink in just a tiny bit, but it doesn't really take deep root. So when the sun comes up, it's quickly scorched and it dies. And Jesus explains, that's the seed that went in just a little bit. And you might even have been happy hearing it. I wonder how many times people have heard a lot of good sermons and they walk, oh, good sermon. But as soon as they walk out, it didn't really take root. <clears throat> or maybe, and this is something I have to be careful because I don't want to sound presumptuous or anything, but I'm concerned that we as churches, we've failed to equip the saints, the Christians, with how to deal with persecution that comes toward the word of God. We've, we, we, we teach people only a few little sermonettes for Christianettes. 
Um, we'll give a fancy little scripture on the wall. Nobody carries their Bible anymore. And, and I, I love how Ethan Creekers still bring their Bibles. I like that. Because um, it's about knowing what this book says. I hope you're familiar with your Bible and you understand, you know, not just a few favorite scriptures here and there, because here's what happens. Here's what we're watching right before our very eyes today. There's these people, God bless America, Christian nationalism. Uh, we're all Christians because we're Americans and we go to church Christmas and Easter and we have a few tacked on verses. And then suddenly somebody attacks you because you're a Christian and they say, you hate gay people. Oh, we don't hate, we don't hate gay people. Uh, well, the Bible says, and, and, and the Christian doesn't know the word. And sadly, a lot of the pastors don't know the word. And so what do they start going? Oh, we don't hate anybody. The Bible says love one another. It does say that. So love is love, right? And, and, and suddenly the, whole, the church, much of the church in America is just totally embracing the LGBTQIA plus community. And, and the problem is it's because they, they don't have a depth of the word. The Bible, if you just read the Bible, more than a few tacked on verses, a lot of churches don't want to be controversial. They don't wanna talk about things that are difficult and, uh, or seemingly hateful as the world likes to try to present it, which is not the case at all. Um, but actually, uh, the Bible actually talks about homosexuality very clearly, very clearly. And then, and, then, and then the church, what happens when they get hammered with the issue? See, let's review what Jesus said in verse 21. Yet that person has no root in himself, but endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, that's exactly what I just described, by and by, he is offended. And so we watch Christians offended. Oh, no, 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 we don't believe that. And we love everyone. And, and they're, they're trying to backpedal. Um, meanwhile, the, the fruit is not there. It's so sad. We need to make sure that we have soil of our heart that lets the word take root in our lives so that when tribulation, because of the word, and, and trust me, folks, I think we're entering days where more and more, there's gonna be more and more issues that are gonna come. And if you're a Christian who believes the Bible, more and more topics, they're gonna attack you on those things. And if you have a shallow root, you're gonna be scorched during these dark days. And the world is really good at scorching right now. And the church is not so good at enduring, but they're easily offended and the, the plant withers and there's no fruit. We're seeing you know, church after church because of this shut their doors. There's churches shutting their doors all across America because people are leaving the church and they're you know, the young millennials and the Gen Zers. I don't think we've allowed them to be equipped uh, with the, the word of God so that their plant, if you would, the seed takes deep root. And so that's the problem. Some of the seed falls on this shallow ground. Now, by the way, this is the land of Israel. If you ever go to Israel, you'll be shocked how stony the ground is in Israel. I'm sure Jesus could have just pointed anywhere and said, some of the seed fell on stony ground, which is pretty much the way the soil is. Um, again, to have good soil for a garden, you need to make sure and get the rocks out. As a kid, we had a little farm and I remember in the summer, my dad, or springtime, we'd till up the soil of our garden and me and my sisters would go with five gallon buckets and we had to fill them with rocks and put rocks in the buckets. And because we lived by a river, the river was great, but it was rocky area where we were. And it took a lot of work to keep the river, or river rock out of the garden because um, you needed to let the roots go deeply. So this is the analogy. I love how Jesus uses imagery that even you know, your nominal gardener would understand here, even in today's world. So not taking root, um, they hear the word with joy. Oh yeah, praise the Lord, God bless America. And then, and then when the trials come, they don't know how to defend, they don't know how to stand or even survive. 
Um, this is, by the way, what happens to a lot of our young kids that leave churches that don't really teach solid Bible doctrine. And by the time the kids get old enough and go off to college, college professors can very easily blow them away with their criticisms of the Bible or their cynicism. All they have to say is the Bible is full of contradictions. And the kids that aren't equipped are like, oh man, I guess I can't believe in the Bible of my parents. And that's why we're seeing tons of kids leaving the faith. They haven't been equipped with the word of God. Uh, by the way, when, when they all say the Bible's full of contradictions, um, I always love to just say, show me one. And they'll, they'll come up with goofy ones, you know, and, and these arguments against the Bible, but they're all very ridiculous. And if you know the whole Bible, the, the seeming or apparent contradictions are easily explained and seen. <laughs> I remember even in high school, I had this one teacher uh, who was an evolutionist and a proud one at that. And I was always the target. We were always talking. We were actually friends, this teacher and I, but we would banter back and forth. But I remember in the 80s, the Time Magazine did this big article and this teacher was so proud he brought it into the classroom and showed the class that there's no way there was really, uh, the Bible is proven wrong because there's no way there was any apples in the uh, Euphrates River, Tigris, Tigris River area uh, where the, the Garden of Eden was supposed to have been. There, there are no way apples would have grown in that region of the world. And he was saying, see, this just proves the Bible. And I said, well, listen, I said, first of all, and I, like, I'm just a high school punk kid, but I knew that first of all, like we could talk about the, the pre-flood world. Like the world before the flood was very different, let alone the Garden of Eden. Um, the antediluvian world was, was uh, where people lived long periods of time. The Bible stands up to that test, but, but you can even take it to an easier test than that. Um, they're saying apples don't grow in that region of the world, so the Bible's proven wrong. And the problem with that, apples, that's not what the Bible says was in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't apples, it was, a, it was fruit. That's what it's called, fruit. And that could have been an almond, for crying out loud, the almond of good and evil. <laughs> like, could have been, the Bible calls almonds fruit, you know, so who knows what kind of fruit it was, but it didn't say it was an apple. And, and see, that's the kind of weird, when you get these criticisms of the Bible, if you don't know the scriptures and you don't kind of let the roots go deep, you can let your faith be derailed. And that's what we're seeing in our culture and our society. And by the way, men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. But they reject the Bible because it contradicts them. That's the truth of the matter. They reject the Bible because it contradicts them. Um, that's what we have to understand the Bible does. Um, and so that's what happened in Romans chapter one. When Romans one talks about those rebellious people, it says in Romans one twenty one, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Um, this is a description of the world uh, attacking or rejecting the word of God. And so if you don't have a solid rootedness You'll be like the seed that has a little shallow root. And as soon as the heat comes on, you'll wither away. We need, to, we need um, some hardy, stout, rooted Christians. that We need it desperately. Um, you know, uh, by the way, the Bible talks about that person in Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And then notice the wording here, rooted. I love that and built up, established, the King James says established, but it's really established in the faith as you have been taught. This is, uh, this is the person who's, who's solid, rooted, established, taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. 
Um, when you get into the word and root yourself deeply, you'll be thankful for the strength that the Lord provides in his word. Um, by the way, one of the reasons I fear that we're not rooted deeply in, in the word, the, the seeds, is I think we're not getting pure seed of the word of God, but sometimes we're, we're seeing other things more. Do you spend more time listening to podcasts than you do reading your Bible? Do you spend more time you know, listening to sermons than reading your Bible? Like sermons and podcasts can be a good thing, but, um, or reading books. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm somewhat pro reading books, but honestly, how much time do you spend where the true seed of the word is penetrating your heart? There's, there needs to be a ratio. And I think that ratio is off on a lot of people. All the stuff we're taking in, all the information, and there's no wonder people aren't really rooted in the word because they won't even crack open their, well, the Bible's an old book. It's out of date and prehistoric. I think if you come to Wednesday night Bible study or join us online, you'll kind of realize, wow, it's not only not out of date, it's very exacting and it totally nails down my life perfectly, exactly what I need to hear. That's just an excuse people use. Um, I love how applicable the word of God is. So be careful, uh, make sure uh, that your ratio of Bible time is actually uh, commensurate with what we actually need to be rooted and grounded, established and taught. That's very important. So you got the, the fouled up heart, birds of the air. You got the shallow heart. And then number three, Jesus then calls out the distracted heart is what I'll call that. And that's simply the little verse seven uh, there where it says, some seed fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them out. Um, this is something I have a great image in my mind from our little farm growing up. We had a patch of ground on our property that we grew alfalfa. And it was really rich alfalfa. Like it was, it was beautiful actually. It was so green and rich and heavy. The bales of alfalfa weighed like 20 times more than like a bale of hay. Um, it was beautiful except for one thing. We had th these fields nearby that bull thistle there in Southern Oregon would grow up. And if you know bull thistle, it grows up ugly and prickly and green, but then there's this little purple crown that grows on the top and then they get real fluffy and then the wind blows and the bull thistle seed blows all over the place, planting other bull thistle everywhere. And it's like this very invasive, prickly, pointy, pointy um, thorn bush. So my job, along with you know, manure patrol and, and stuff, I had to do all kinds of fun jobs in the summer, but this is one I had to go around. When I, when I first started doing it, I'd clip off these bull thistles at the base, but they'd grow right back. So eventually my dad got me, I think it was like a clam shovel. And I, I, I went down and just had to get the, the, the thistles out by the roots. And I'd go through our field of alfalfa early in the growing season and make sure all the bull thistles were right. Like I'd get wheelbarrow loads of bull thistles. And, and, and it was interesting, if the bull thistle was left there, the, the alfalfa would grow very anemic and weak. But as soon as that bull thistle was uprooted, then the alfalfa would fill in quickly and get very rich and thick. And it was very clear imagery uh, that I grew up with. And I love these images that Jesus gives that I can go, I know exactly what he's talking about. When the thorns choke out the good seed, because that's exactly what happens. Um, and so what are the thistles? Well, Jesus gives us the commentary on that as well. If you take a look in verse 22, he says, he also that received seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and the care of this world and the deceitful, uh, deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So what are the thorns? Two things Jesus lists here the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. Those are the two things. 
You can be, you know, growing good seed in your heart. The seed of God's word penetrates your heart and you're starting to know the Bible and it's starting to take root. That's really good. But the problem is you're worried about your finances. You're worried about your career. And so that starts to choke out your interest or the, allowing the word to grow like it should. You're more into the cares of this world. So you, you've got too much to do, places to go, people to see. Who's got time for the scriptures? Who's got time to read the Bible, let alone apply it to our lives practically? And we get very, very busy. And that's one of the great plagues, I think, of our culture as well. We're busy. And the problem is we rationalize and it's so easy to start to let things sort of choke out um, the word of God. And I think we see that in so many different ways. Um, you know, there's, there's so many places the word needs to be in your life. I think a good, solid church will teach the Bible. Um, I like, I'm, I'm partial toward verse by verse, you know. Expository preaching is the best way in my, in my humble opinion. I think it's, it's very good to, to get that seed spread in your heart. By the way, if you're gonna plant a, a lawn, you're not gonna cheat and go down to Instalon and get rolls of sod. And you literally got the soil already and you're gonna plant a lawn. Do you put like one little seed every three or four feet? Is that what you do when you plant a lawn? The reason I, the reason I say that sort of joke, you say that, but that's ridiculous. Yeah, but that's what I think sometimes we do with, with some church behaviors where we'll just throw a little verse out here and there. There's one seed right there, a little verse. And you know, you get one verse a week maybe and, and it's up on the screen and, and it's just one little seed. But I kind of all for the big cedar thing. <laughs> Seeds just going everywhere. And I think the way you do that is, is through the Bible, verse by verse. We don't skip a verse, we don't skip a chapter and you're gonna get the full counsel of God. And hopefully it'll grow rich, nice seed and it'll cover the ground. That's kind of what we're, we're going for here. The reason I say that is because that's one of the problems today, I think is we're, we're spread pretty thin. And what is it that makes us not really wanna go deeper into the word? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Um, you know, uh, so it's your personal time in the word at home. It's, it's get going to a church that's solid and teaching the word. And, and one of the first things that goes in a lot of people's lives is going to church. You know, um, there's, a, there's a behavior I'm calling Corona lazy. Uh, and what it is, is because of the coronavirus, people have gotten lazy about things. You go to a restaurant and where they once had a nice tea dispenser, that's still shut down because of coronavirus. Um, they, they still have their plexiglass up and they still, like, there's still things that are, uh, you still have to go through the drive-thru and the, the dining room's not, still not open. Uh, hello, it's been, all the others have been open forever. Like, what's going on? I call that corona lazy. Well, one of the worst examples of corona lazy is people that once went to church and then when all the churches shut down, they just never went back. Uh, there's some people who just like have forsaken going to church and they're not getting the seed of the word at church. Hebrews 10.25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Brett, you're preaching to the choir. We're here at church. Um, yeah, but I, I, you know, I, I know that there's some people watching online, even right now, that might be like, uh, we kind of like having waffles in our PJs on Sunday morning. Uh, and and there's a, there's, the reason we stream online is because there's a lot of good cases. Uh, we love what the Lord's doing through streaming and, and people watching at home. That's, the Lord's doing some really good stuff. And uh, the watch parties and some of the cool things we're seeing happen are just really cool. But don't let that be an excuse for not being a part of the church family. And, um, and you know, that's just one, the coronavirus excuse. Um, there's a million others. Uh, Junior's gonna go pro. So sporting events. 
Now, there's a history of this that, that's troubling to me. I, I'm all for sports. I played all the sports. I was into sports. Um, but when I was a kid back in the uh, uh, old days, uh, did you know Sundays were off limits for sports? Did you guys know that? There used to be a time where sporting events knew that Sundays when you go to church. Um, and then the communists came, the soccer people. Um, <laughs> sorry, I love joking about soccer, I'm sorry. Um, so when soccer people came, it was, it was the soccer people who played not only on Sundays, but did you notice how soccer people played year round? Like it was like there were no longer any seasons. Uh, I love the seasons. I, you know, for me, this is my opinion, but when, you know, playing football was so fun, but I was always kind of glad when the season was over, like your body gives you time to heal from the broken bones and, and, uh, and the next, you know, you just get tired of playing the same game if you ask me all the time. Maybe I wasn't going pro or something, but, but, but I sure did have fun playing all the sports. But, but even when I was a kid, Sundays were off limits. Wednesday nights were largely off limits. Some of you are old enough to remember, if you're old in here, when Wednesday night was prayer night for church or Bible study night. And, church, and schools did not book things on Wednesday nights because that was church night. Um, that was a, a real thing in the prehistoric days. Um, but now, you know, and, and this is something I've observed, uh, and it's, I, I think it's a danger in our culture. We'll keep my kids going pro, so we're gonna, we're gonna be out there all the time. And we'll see you in 10 years, you know, when the kids graduate from school and are off at college. And, and I, I see this as a real problem. Um, there's literally families I hadn't seen for 10 years. And then you wonder why their family's not doing good. 10 years from then, oh, they, they can sure know how to run a football or uh, shoot a hoop or whatever. Um, but you know what? That's even if they do go pro, the average pro career, the average, if you measure with uh, NBA, NFL, NHL, um, the average career is six years, if you're lucky, six years. So in their 20s, they're gonna retire, even if they make the Super Bowl. I've said this before, we, we have parents in this room who are uh, parents of Super Bowl ring-wearing uh, you know, athletes, and they're like, man, I wish we wouldn't have focused so much on sports when they were younger. Because guess what? Your life goes on after Super Bowl, at least hopefully, and hopefully you have a rooted, solid like, strength spiritually that a kid has long before they were uh, in the NFL. If you make it to the NFL, you better have a solid faith because there's so many things that are gonna mess you up in there. Um, now, I gotta commend, there's, there's parents and people who know how to do this, and it's a juggle, and it's difficult. You're still at church, but you're still going to all the sports, and, and I, I, I get that, and, and it's, but it is a lot more work. If you're one of those parents that are saying, ah, we'll just take a break for the next 10 years, your kids will not do well with that, I'm just gonna tell you. They, they need to still get a steady dose of the word of God. Don't, don't let sports be more important than the word of God. Um, don't let your Chip and Joanna get in the way. I've seen this. Well, Brett, uh, you haven't seen this in church. Yeah, where, where you guys been? Uh, well, we, we've been, we're remodeling the house. Oh, for the past three years? Oh, it's a long remodel, yeah. It's, uh, it's not like the Chip and Joanna show. It's done in a week and a half. It's, it's, it's been a three-year process. And, and, and I've seen this where people just get kind of checked out. Uh, you know, uh, some people make the mistake, and, and the, this is the thing about the, you know, carry, worrying about your uncertain riches, you know, and this, all, this whole thing that Jesus said, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Some people work the extra day thinking they can get ahead. And instead of taking a day of rest and being a part of church and taking in the word, they'd much rather get work done, hopefully to make an extra buck. That never works out either. Um, that's why Jesus 
um, you know, teaches us to take a break. The Bible teaches us, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, uh, and, and to gather uh, and, and assemble ourselves, even as uh, this scripture tells us. Well, um, all that to say is uh, you don't want the, the word to be choked out. Uh, things that become more important than the scripture itself. Uh, the thorns are the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, Paul told young Timothy as he was pastoring the wealthy church at Ephesus, he said, charge them that they be not high-minded, that are wealthy, um, that they be not high-minded and put their trust in uncertain riches. It's always a big goof. Um, the, the great wealth is found in the word of God and that's where you'll be rooted and established. I love that. Well, so you got, uh, first of all, you got the, the fouled up heart where the birds of the air doesn't even get into the soil. It's plucked out by Satan. Uh, the second is the shallow heart. It starts to take root, but it's not deeply rooted. So it gets singed by the sun when the pressure comes on. The distracted heart is the, the, it starts to grow and you got the word in you and it's starting to do good, but it's choked out because of the thorns, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches. But the fourth one is the good condition, the good soil. We're gonna call that the healthy heart. Um, by the way, remember what Joshua said on this last point? You know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That, I'm so thankful that I had a dad that he, he let me play football and do all the sports and all that stuff. But there was kind of a non-negotiable at our house. And it was, you go to church with us on Sundays and you go to Wednesday night Bible study. And boy, that sure served me well. I'm really glad that I had a, a dad who kind of pulled a Joshua and said it that way. Um, but anyway, all that to say, point number four, the healthy heart, the healthy soil, what does that look like? Well, before we even talk about this, you gardeners, you people that know how to plant stuff, I'm not very good at that. I have a brown thumb. Uh, everything I touch dies. But my wife, she's got the green thumb. She knows how to plant stuff and it lives. But if you're gonna plant seed, what's one of the first things you better do to the soil? Hello? Till it, you gotta till it. Uh, what does that mean? Well, tilling is kind of violent. It's like a horsepower thing. You need oxen and you need a big blade that's gonna cut deeply into the soil, rip it all up. That's kind of an interesting thing when Jesus calls your heart soil. And the tilling is something we're gonna have to talk about here. Uh, let's, let's take a look. Verse eight is the, is the good soil. And Jesus says this, but other seed fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some hundredfold, some 60-fold, some 30-fold. What's the deal with these, um, these layers of numbers? Um, I think that, that um, various people have different results with the fruit that comes from the word penetrating the heart. But the good thing is there's the good soil, the good heart is gonna bring forth good fruit. Some 30, some 60, some hundredfold. By the way, uh, what makes a seed become more prolific? It's healthy growth, which creates more seed, which replants and grows again. Um, and so seed begetting seed, that's kind of this idea of the 30, 60, and 100 fold uh, sort of uh, bearing fruit. That's, that's part of the imagery here. But all that to say, Jesus's commentary on that is verse 23. Let's take a look. In verse 23, it says, but he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understands it. That means you've done some work, um, which also beareth fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. Not only do you hear the word, but you actually understand it. And I don't know about you guys, the only way I can really understand the work or the word is by work. That's why Paul said to Timothy, uh, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Reading the word to where you understand it takes work. 
how thankful I am that I get to be a part of a church like you guys that are willing to do some work. Um, some people come to our church for the first time. They heard about Athey Creek and there's all these people that go there. So they come, well, let's see what's going on there. And they first come here and they're just downright offended how long I take. <laughs> he went on for over an hour. Are you kidding me? You know, maybe they came from the Episcopal church where if you went 15 minutes, the pastor has to resign. You know, it's like you get kicked out if you go past the 15 minute mark. Um, why am I so long-winded? Um, well, here's the thing. At Athe Creek, we're, we're realizing that if you're gonna go through the Bible, which we literally do uh, in about a 15 year period, we'll go through the whole Bible. Um, and we're gonna get some work done. We are getting work done. Uh, and it, and it's, it's not easy. Um, uh, I remember this was a great, great thing that happened. Uh, and this sticks in my mind at uh, Athey Creek Middle School. Some of you were back in those days. How many of you guys were in the Athey Creek Middle School days? Wow, that's a tiny little percentage. Um, remember, we were just back to there. But I remember this one lady was invited by her friend from work, I think, and she came to Athey Creek and she had that response. Oh, I can't believe how long it was. Oh my goodness. And, and she was mad. She said, that guy has a, the audacity to keep us here for so long. Like she was fired up and she even let some of our leadership have, have it. Like, I can't believe your pastor. And, and, um, and our leadership is just this way. We, yeah, he is a long-winded um, guy. Um, but they explained, we're, we're actually going through the Bible. And they took time to explain what we're doing through the Bible, verse by verse. And if we're really gonna do that for real, it's gonna take a lot of work. And so these people that are here have decided we're gonna just do the work. And so we understand that it's hard. And she kind of, oh, I don't know. And she left. Well, she came back the next Sunday and she, she listened again and, and she started listening. And, and then the next Sunday, and she came kind of Sunday after Sunday. It was about a year later she came up and this was so sweet. She was like totally a different person. She just said, I'm so sorry. I was horrible that first Sunday I came to, to Athey Creek, but she said, I can't believe the Bible is so relevant for my life and what's going on in the world. And, and she was just went on and on about the word of God. See, she realized it wasn't me and it wasn't Athey Creek. It, she was just really impressed with the Bible and how, how it, it really ch was changing her life. And, 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 and that's the thing. Um, the good soil is the soil that's all ready to say, okay, we, we give high priority to this book right here and we want it to penetrate our hearts and we're gonna do some work. Even if it hurts, even if we have to till the soil and if it's, it's, it's a little bit painful sometimes tilling up the soil, um, you'll, the more you get tilled, the more the soil will receive the word ready to go and uh, ready to see good fruit. Um, this is where I wanna transition a little bit from your soil of your heart, because I think we're talking about that right now, but what about when you're sowing the seed to someone who's a non-believer? And a lot of you have friends that you wanna share the gospel with, but their, their soil is not tilled. You can throw the gospel and the seed to them, but it just bounces right off of them. Do you, do you have friends like that? People you know that just do not wanna hear about it? Family members even? One of the things that you might pray about is that tilling of the soil. And that's something the Lord can do, by the way that the Lord will prepare their heart. Just, just pray, Lord, as I share the gospel with that person at work, would you prepare the soil of their heart to receive the word? Now, let me explain something too that's kind of important. Sometimes the, the, the sower also does some of the tilling. Let me explain. The gospel message in a nutshell, there's a tilling part of that message. And here's, here's the problem. Some churches, some Christians, they, they don't share the gospel in a correct way. 
If this is the gospel you're saying, hey, you should become a Christian. Well, why should I become a Christian, you weirdo? Well, because you could go to church at AC Creek with us. That's the last thing in the world I wanna do. Well, well, you, you can learn to be good. I am good. Well, you, you can be happy. And if you accept Jesus, the Lord will give you joy. I already am happy. Like, like, um, and we, we're like used car salesmen trying to sell the gospel and we're telling them all the reasons they should become a Christian and they're the wrong reasons. There, there's no tilling going on there. The tilling part is when you say this, and this might sound coarse, and if you come from the more mamby-pamby type churches that are afraid to use the word hell in church, and I'm gonna say it again, if a pastor doesn't use the word hell in the pulpit, he has no right to be behind the pulpit. It's part of the Bible and it's part of the narrative. And if you don't talk about hell, nobody's gonna care. Hell is the big deal. But are you supposed to scare us into, uh, into heaven? Exactly, good eye. <laughs> hell is a scary place and the Bible talks more about hell than it talks about heaven. And if you don't talk about hell, the soil's not gonna be tilled. Um, the Way of the Master is a, a group that does street witnessing, Ray Comfort. Uh, and one of the things that came out of that that I really appreciate is that illustration of you know, the airplane that takes off from LA to New York. And about halfway through the plane, uh, you know, the captain calls the, the flight attendants into the cockpit and says, ladies, we're out of fuel. The, the, the plane's going down. We, we didn't realize there's a leak in our, our uh, fuel tanks and this plane's going down in like five minutes. And so flight attendant A, she goes to the intercom and says, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for flying the friendly skies. We hope you're enjoying your flight. In a minute, our, our flight attendants are gonna come and serve you a peanut and a little communion cup size of Coca-Cola. And uh, we'll give you a magazine for your reading entertainment. And by the way, uh, we also have some parachutes for anyone who would like a parachute. Uh, anyone like a parachute? And everybody'd be like, what in the world is he talking about? I'll take the peanut and the communion Coke and everything. But uh, forget the... Um, Forget the parachute, or maybe some of us, I'd probably be one of these, I'll take a parachute for free. And uh, you know, the, some people putting on a parachute, and then you realize, oh, I don't sit in the seat, it doesn't fit very comfortable, and I, I can't even get my tray down for the peanuts, and, uh, and this is awkward. And now people are laughing at me because I'm wearing a parachute and stuff. And it's just kind of, Brad, what are you talking about? Well, that's what a lot of Christians are when they share the gospel. The, the, let's go to flight attendant B. She goes to the intercom and says, ladies and gentlemen, we're in real trouble. Remain calm. This plane is going down in the next five minutes. We do have parachutes for anyone who will want one. Raise your hand if you would like a parachute. Everybody's gonna raise their hands because the plane is going down. There's an urgency and people realize, oh, I need a parachute. That's why the discussion of God's wrath and hell and righteousness are as much as the equation as God's mercy and his grace and his love. People that leave out the hell and destruction part, there's no reason why. I wouldn't want to become a Christian if Athey Creek was the prize. You get to go to church at Athey Creek, that's the booby prize. <laughs> you see, the reason people go to this church is not because, oh, it's an awesome thing. No, it's because we're getting some work done here because, and we accepted Jesus not because we could go to church, we accepted Jesus to keep us out of hell and to be saved by his grace through faith. Um, once you realize that, see, so, so here's the problem. Um, when you share the, the, the gospel, if the soil is hard, one of the little blades of the till, I think, is to let people know that God's wrath uh, is coming. Uh, this is where like the scriptures, you know, it's interesting because Jeremiah, who nobody listened to Jeremiah in 42 years of ministry. Uh, it's amazing he even made it that long. 
But Jeremiah said, for thus saith the Lord, the men of Judah, to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Jeremiah knew the people weren't listening because their, their hearts, their, their soil of their hearts was hard. And I think Jesus is springboarding really from Jeremiah the prophet to this parable of the sower of the seed. But then, um, you know, the Bible tells us these are killing kind of verses like this one. John three thirty six: He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Like there's a scripture that tills, that takes the heart that's all confident. Yeah, whatever. If God is love, I'll make it to heaven, whatever. No, the Bible says God is love, but he is also righteous and he demands righteousness. And the only way you can make it to heaven is not by your righteousness, but by Jesus. That's why he who believes on the Son, Jesus, is saved. He who does not believe on the Son, the wrath of God will abide on him. This is what the Bible says. That's a tilling, that's a rototilling verse. And sometimes the hard-hearted people that you work with, your neighbors, your family members, you gotta do a little tilling sometimes. That's, that's kind of the point. By the way, if you're kind of like, man, I don't know if I know how to do all this stuff, it's really quite simple. Would you jot down five scriptures? I call it the Romans road. It's, it's kind of a thing that's been around for a long time. There's, there's like five Romans scriptures that, that you can t share the gospel. I, I remember when I was a kid, I wrote down these five scriptures in my Bible just so I knew, okay, if I wanna share the gospel, here's the five scriptures that'll really help me do it because Romans spells it out. Romans 3:23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the tilling. Um, the coming short, what does that mean? Well, that's Romans 6, 23. The next verse, for the wages or the cost of sin is death. And if you read the rest of the Bible, you realize it's not just, you know, your heart stopping and being buried six feet under pushing up daisies. It's death eternal. So the wage or the cost of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, saved by Jesus is the idea there. Then you go from Romans 6, 23, you go to Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, right in the middle of our sin, Jesus Christ died for us. This is the gospel. So that's the first three verses. So what do we have so far? You know, we've got, we're all sinners. The penalty of sin is eternal death and hell. The gift of God is eternal life and God shows his love to us on the cross, when he dies on the cross for our sins. And then Romans, uh, you fast forward to Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God gives us the way, the truth, the life, the solution. And then the, the final one, is this number five, scripture number five? The final Romans scripture is Romans 10, nine and 10, where it says, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and, be, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, man believes to righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. There it is. That's what a person needs. They need to understand the tilling part. You're sinful and you're headed for hell. But good news, God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And anyone who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart, Jesus, who died for them in their place, substitutionarily, you're saved from that death and you get to go to heaven by God's grace. You didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. It was a free gift from God. This is all the good news of the gospel. So as we kind of wrap this, this little parable up, it's so important that we be careful about the word. Conclusion point number one, check the soil of your heart. Are you a Christian who 
Maybe, maybe you're, you're fairly new to the faith and you've only been given like a little, uh, a, a few seeds, but, but as you leave church, you've got to go think about other stuff and, and, the, and Satan plucks it out. You don't really remember anything in the Bible anyway. Uh, or maybe you've got the soil that's, it starts to take root, but then, uh, you know what? The, um, the sun comes up and when people turn on the heat, your Christianity kind of goes out the window because you don't really have a good answer for your faith that you believe. And you need to let the seed go deeper in your heart are you the thorny you know, condition where your soil has got all kinds of cares that choke out the word? You might even have had in times past the, the seed deep in your soil of your heart, but it's being choked out by your money, by your busyness, by your sports, by your projects and hobbies and, and uh, jobs and careers. Don't let the, the, the seed be choked out. And then the third and final point is this. If you've never accepted Christ as your savior, all of this stuff I'm talking about today, the seed has been thrown out on your heart by the Lord because we've been in the word right now. And the question is, what kind of soil is your heart? Are you hardened saying, yeah, whatever, you Christians, weirdos. And that means that the seed's just gonna bounce off and you're gonna go away and there's not gonna be any good fruit. But if you let the seed of the word penetrate your heart, even right now, um, and then you get to this point where you get to Romans 10 and says, man, if you confess with your heart, uh, with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus, that he died, that he rose from the grave, you can be saved right now. Don't miss that. Don't, don't be stubborn, but let the Lord's word bring forth good fruit in your life. I can't promise your life will be rosy or perfect or anything like that, but I can promise you, you'll never regret accepting Jesus and having good fruit from the seed of the word. I've never once in all my years of ministry met a person that says, you know, I really regret becoming a Christian. If I could do it over again, I would not have become a Christian. Not one time. But everybody says, oh man, I'm so thankful for that time, that moment of my life where I realized I was a sinner who needed to be saved and accepted Jesus as my savior. That's always a win right there. So don't miss that in Jesus' name. Lord, we're thankful for your word. What a good reminder for us, Lord. Uh, maybe there's the old timer Christian here that just needs a tune-up of the soil of their hearts, Lord, and help, <clears throat> help us with that. Um, but Lord, whatever the condition, I pray that this, this word, even as Jesus told us to listen and behold and hearken, I pray that we would take heed to your word and let it do its work in our lives, Lord, for all of us. So bless this congregation, Lord. I pray that good fruit would come from today's study. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.